Good morning, everybody. If you have your Bible with you, you can turn to 2 Kings chapter 14 and 2 Chronicles chapter 25. That's where we'll be. Those are parallel time periods and stories. I have my Bible marked and just in case technology fails. So, um, but I'm going to be reading from the screen as we go through it this morning. If you remember, we're in the midst of our series called In the Lord's Sight. Um, the reason we call it this is because when you read 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles, you see this, use, this word or this phrase used over and over again. That God is saying, this king did what was right in my sight. This king did what was evil in my sight. And so there's like this explanation of like, God did this. This guy did this. And it's just the principle that we're supposed to be pursuing God's sight, who he wants us to be, pursuing who he is and what he wants for others, not just what we want from others. And that's kind of the, the theme of how we've chosen to look at how God views this. If you remember, the children of Israel, they're in a civil war. They've separated. After the reign of Solomon, King Solomon, that was David's son, King David, David and Goliath, Solomon comes in, Solomon decides to build a temple. God never told him to build a temple, but God said, if you're going to build it, it's going to cost you and it's going to be beautiful. And it was. So Solomon had to overtax the people, nothing we're used to. As a result of overtaxing the people, the people rebelled. That's never happened in history. I don't know, like, I don't know, Boston Tea Party. As a result, there was a separation. There was a northern kingdom now and a southern kingdom, the two of them. And so now you have this separation of the two kingdoms. And then you just see a mess after that. And in the northern kingdom, there is never a king that God says was righteous or did what was right in God's sight. All of them evil. In the southern kingdom, there are a few that do what's right in God's sight, but they both have something in common. We looked at this last week. The two things they have in common in the northern kingdom, they decided to establish their own way of worship because they don't want to go to Jerusalem and have to pass through and possibly be taxed to go to Jerusalem to worship, which was the command of the Old Testament. So they create Bethel and Dan. They create two golden calves and they set up in Bethel and Dan these golden calves and then they call the golden calves Yahweh. They're not worshiping a false god. Okay, they're worshiping Yahweh, but they're doing it falsely. They're not doing it the way God asked them to do it. And that's why they were always wicked in the northern kingdom. In the southern kingdom, Judah, you see this all the way through. We will see it today. It says, you know, this king did what was right in the Lord's sight, but they didn't take down the high places. These were places that in the southern kingdom just like in the northern kingdom, for the purpose of ease, not having to travel so far. So it's not so hard to worship God. We'll just set up these high places and then we can just go worship on the high places and then we don't have to go to Jerusalem. We don't have to do it the way God said to do it. Both of them are doing wicked. And eventually, we're going to see today and next week we'll see how the northern kingdom falls to the, to the nation of Assyria. Both kingdoms, because of these sins that they won't deal with, both of them completely collapse. And God's people up until the 1940s aren't in their land. It's a disaster for the people of God. It's a mess how it all lays out. And these are great stories for us because... If we're really honest, what we looked at the last couple of weeks is that we looked at two weeks ago where the people would not listen, God said. You read it right there in the text. The people would not listen. 
And then last week we looked at the fact that they wouldn't turn away. They did not turn away. The kings would not turn away from the high places. They would not turn away from the way they decided they were going to worship God. And nobody can tell me what to do. And this week, we're going to look at this concept of the sins he caused them to commit. The sins he caused them to commit. See, leaders can lead people to sin by either changing what God said and has established or by refusing to change what others changed before us that God said. Let me say that again. Leaders can lead people to sin by either changing what God has established about how he wants to be worshipped, or leaders can refuse to change what others had changed and reestablish what God had established. That is going on all the time. It's the confusion we live in today. What's the right church? Who's right? What's all those things that we still battle today? And instead of listening to this and knowing this and turning to God's word and really turning in our hearts to God, we just go for what we talk about here all the time, pragmatic, moral, theistic deism. Pragmatic, well, what works? Okay? Theistic is... Well, or therapeutic is what makes me feel good. What, what church makes me feel the best? And it's got a good groove and, you know, I get along. So pragmatic, theistic, and then moral. You know, what's going to help me, you know, accomplish the moral so I don't go to prison or jail? And then deism. And deism is the idea that God's far away, that there's a distance, that, that God keeps his distance. He's not involved in my life. He's not going to ask me to do stuff. It's like, I'm just going to serve him and one day I'll stand before him and I'm better than average and he'll let me come into heaven. That's deism. And that is the religion of our day. And we keep committing the same sins and we keep having the same mindset that they've had for generations because we don't know this. And unfortunately, most leaders don't preach this. I, it makes me sad that our church is unique in the way that we go through scripture in so many ways. There are other churches that do it. But we're kind of unique. And I'm like, why? Why is it that in most churches, you'll go and you might get three or four Bible verses on a Sunday morning. And then you'll get 30 minutes of the pastor telling his opinion and his story. Here you're going to get like 40 minutes to an hour of scripture and maybe a story. Like, I want you to know this. I want you to check me on this. As a matter of fact, last week I got checked. Last week somebody came up to me after service and said, you misspoke. Last week, I said, Elijah and Moses were taken up into heaven. Now, I also said Moses was buried on a mountain right after that. I meant to say Elijah and Enoch were taken up into heaven. See, I can make mistakes, but if you guys don't know the word, then you never confront me. And you just go out and tell people the wrong stuff. Like, we should be able to have a relationship in which this is the thing that stands, not Matt's the pastor. This is the pastor. I am an under-shepherd to God and his word. Jesus is called the word. I'm the under-shepherd. I'm under this. And so many pastors put themselves above it just like the Catholic Church does. That's one of the reasons that Protestants are different than Catholics. Catholics believe that the church is over the Bible. It's in their doctrine. We don't as Protestants. We believe scripture is over the church. That the leaders don't get to decide what God said. That God decides what the leaders are to tell. It's one of the major differences between Protestantism and Catholicism. But we don't even know that. And so as a result, 
We just keep going along to get along like the northern kingdom and the southern kingdoms kept doing. Not confronting the issues, not dealing with the issues, not calling people out and up to God, but just let's keep the peace. Let's just keep it going. So let's dive in. 2 Kings 14, 23, you'll back up a little bit from chapter 15. It says, in the 15th year of Judah, Judah's king Amaziah, son of Joash, Jeroboam, son of Joash, Jehoash became king of Israel in Samaria and reigned 41 years. We are going to cover about a 51-year period, 50-year period this morning. Think about that for a minute. Most of you in this room aren't 50. (laughs) We're going to cover most of you in this room double your lifetime in one message, in one service. Some of you are looking at each other and going, I'm older than 50, so I'm, I'm made. You know what I mean? You're looking at it like, eh, he's not talking about us because we're old. Okay. I'm under 50, so I'm, I just made it. Just barely. I'm like right there. So that's what we're going to cover this morning. So don't forget that as we walk through this, there's a king in the northern kingdom, Amaziah, who we looked at last week, and now this guy named Jeroboam. And the king of Israel named his son after the guy that caused all the sins they are committed. Like the sins he caused them to commit. This, this, this northern king got prideful because he defeated the southern kingdom in a battle. And in his pride, he named his son Jeroboam II after the guy that didn't worship God, that God said, yeah, you can go north, you can separate for a while because that's appropriate, but, but don't create a different way of worshiping. And Jeroboam said, no, I'm going to create a different way. He names him after that guy. Why? You're just going to now cause your son to love the first guy, Jeroboam. I'm like Jeroboam the first. I've been named. So now you're going to actually have him love the sins that that guy caused him to commit. And this just keeps going on. Look at what it says. It goes on. It said he did what was evil. Of course he did. He's named after the evil guy. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight. In the Lord's sight. There it is. He did not turn away from all the sins Jeroboam, son of Nebat, had caused Israel to commit. You will see that phrase multiple times this morning as we read through the passage. Every time. They didn't encourage them to to stop doing the sins of Jeroboam, which was Bethel and Dan, two golden calves that they named Yahweh. You had Yahweh one, Yahweh two, right? So we're not not worshiping a false god. They're, They're Yahweh. These golden calves are Yahweh saves, which means Jesus. The name Yahweh saves is Jesus. It's also Joshua. So these two golden calves are our Jesuses. They're going to save us. They're not worshiping Baal or Molech at this point. They're just worshiping the wrong way. And they keep sinning doing this and no one's calling them out. And you got king after king who just continues because guess what? It's a great way to collect taxes. It's a great way to collect money and offerings. It's to create your own worship places. Because if I'm the northern king and I tell them to go to Jerusalem, where's all their money going? I want the money to stay here, these kings said. I mean, if if this doesn't say exactly all the pictures that we have today of the church, it's like if you don't get this morning, if you don't see the similarities of where we are and how these same patterns keep going over and over again, and God in his mercy sends prophets and pastors and people to try to call us out of this mess, and just like them, we don't listen. 
And that's exactly what you see here. You see, they didn't believe they were committing sin. They actually believed they were worshiping and found a better way to worship. That's how every church split happens, right? Like it's, we found a better way, a better pastor, a better thing. Rarely does a church split happen. Sometimes it does, like Protestantism, Martin Luther. Martin Luther was not trying to find a new church. Martin Luther was like, we are being evil. And I can't be an evil priest anymore. And he posted his theses. He posted his 95 points on the door. Boom, here, these things we're doing badly. We've got to change. And the church said, we want to kill you. So now I had a decision to make. Do I just die or do I run? And he ran and people followed him. He wasn't trying to build a new church. It's just the people were like, finally, someone's telling us the truth. I mean, they crucified the first people and killed them and burned them at the stake for trying to translate the Bible into a language people could read because they didn't want people to read their Bibles because then the leaders would, they would be found out for speaking wrong things. So the Catholic Church didn't want people to read because they wanted to be in control and tell them what to do. And they literally burned people at the stake for trying to help people understand the Bible. That's our history. It's no different than Israel and the mess they're in. Because God doesn't change and people don't change. Not unless God changes them. And that's this whole point of this whole story. It goes on and he says this. So now you have Amaziah and then it goes on in Deuteronomy. You have to remember that in Deuteronomy, God kind of explains. Last week I kind of touched on this. But this is what he says in Deuteronomy 5.8 in the Ten Commandments. God says, do not make an idol for yourself in the shape of anything in the heavens above or on the earth below or in the waters or under the earth. You must not bow down to them or worship them because I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the father's sins, sin to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. Read that, hate me. But showing faithful love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. He doesn't just say love me. He says, oh, and they prove their love. Like, because it shows that I'm working in them and they have a relationship with me. But the people that hate me, there's going to be consequences to their sin for three and four generations. The people who love me, there will be consequences to their righteousness for thousands of generations. He goes on in Deuteronomy 24, Moses writes, God has Moses write, fathers are not to be put to death for their children or children for their fathers. Each person will be put to death for his own sin. See, there's a difference between judgment and consequences. There's just a difference. There's a difference between judgment and consequences. And we are running around all the time and we hear, you're not supposed to judge. The Bible says, do not judge. The Bible does not say, do not judge. Jesus actually said, judge righteously. He said, don't judge because by the measure by which you judge, it's going to be measured back to you. So be careful how you judge. And if our measure is Jesus and we're running around measuring people to that, we're all in trouble. Because <laughs> he's like way above. And so you make judgment calls every day. Every day you have to make judgment calls and suffer the consequences in it. Right? Especially right now, you're driving around Bloomington and the light goes yellow and you're driving too fast on ice. It's like, I got a judgment call here to make. I need to try to stop and slide around and go through the intersection or just speed up and get through and hopefully I make it. You probably did that this week. That's a judgment call. We make judgment calls all the time. And what God says is, look, you've got to deal with the sins that others have committed 
They can carry multiple generations. And if you deal with it and you become someone who loves me and desires my commands and loves me, you don't do my commands because you're trying to get something. You do them because you're so in love with me. You're just like, what do you want me to do, God? What do you want me to do? I just am so grateful. I'm so glad. I just, I just want to obey you. What can I do for you? It's not a, well, I got to obey these commands so I don't get in trouble. No, that's, that's the love-hate relationship you have with God. You don't have a love relationship. You're afraid he's going to hate you. That's why you're obeying. God says, I want you to obey because you love me, not because you're afraid I'm gonna hate me, you're, that I'm going to hate you. I've already paid the price in Jesus, we know in the New Testament. And so it's so easy. You have to be careful because these sins do carry on. That's what we see in all these generations. Jeroboam is part of the generation of four people that were promised we're going to be kings in the line of the guy that Jehu who took over. He said, you're going to have four sons that sit on the throne. And then it ends because they all kept causing everyone else to sin. Because you want to know something? Sin works. It works. That's why we love it. It works. For a while. And then it catches up to us. Every time. Every single time. And God's like, that's not what I desire for my people. It goes on and says this in 2 Kings 14.25. He, Jeroboam, restored Israel's border from Leboth Hamath as far as the sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, had spoken through his servant, the prophet Jonah of Amittai. From Gath, Hefer. For the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter. There was no one to help. Oh, sorry. Let me stop there. So, from Gath, Hefer, okay, that place, this Jonah he's talking about, is likely Jonah and the whale, right? And, the, and you might not know that story, but if you've been around church a little bit, you know that there was this prophet, Jonah. He was supposed, he was, a, he was an Israelite prophet. God asked him to go to the Assyrians from Israel to speak to the Assyrians to warn them that God was going to destroy the Assyrians. These are the Assyrians that just in a couple of decades are going to completely annihilate the, 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 the Israel kingdom. Like the northern kingdom is going to be taken away into captivity by the Assyrians. So God was raising up this Assyrian nation to bring discipline on his people. And God, in his incredible mercy, asked Jonah to go tell the Assyrians about me so that when they do come and persecute you, when they do come and discipline you, they know about me. And now I don't have to judge them for something they don't know. I can judge them for something they're supposed to know. And they're supposed to treat you well when they take you over. And if they don't, then that shows that they don't really know me. So Jonah gives the worst message ever. He literally walks into the city, be like me walking on IU's campus, right? Middle of the day, everybody's around and just yelling. You're all gonna perish. Yahweh's gonna kill you if you don't repent. Goodbye. And I walked back out of Bloomington. That was Jonah's message. Worst message ever. He doesn't even argue. He, doesn't, he just lays it out. And he literally knows the message is so bad after he's been in a fish for three days because he didn't want to preach to them because he hated the Assyrians for what they were doing to God's people because they were taxing them and they were making war with them. He's like, I don't want to go to those Assyrians. They're awful people. And God's like, I'm, my mercy's for everybody. You're going to need to go tell them because they're going to take you over. And I don't want to judge them. Like all this plays out. Jonah goes up to a mountain to watch them be destroyed because he knows his message was so bad, there's no way they're going to repent. And they all repent. 
They all stop committing the sins that they had been told to commit with their gods, and they cry out to Yahweh and say, save us, help us, do not destroy us. And Jonah is mad. He's not happy about it. He's like, those, <sighs> the Israelites, they never listen to my message. They won't repent, and then these people do. And now you're going to be nice to these people? Jonah's ticked. But at some point, Jonah had given a message. It says here, and now this guy, Jeroboam, actually fulfills the message that Jonah had given. He, like, this is what God does. He just uses people to fulfill the things that he said, and oftentimes they don't even know they're being used. And you think, well, then Jeroboam did something good. My guess is he didn't even know he was doing it good. God just made it happen through Jonah. He goes on and says this, For the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter. These Assyrians are attacking them. There's nations around them. They're not listening to God. There was no one to help Israel, neither bond nor free. Have you ever been in that position? You ever been in a place where you feel like the affliction that you're under was just so bitter? And you're like, I didn't cause this. I got terrible leaders. I got nations attacking. I'm just trying to raise my family. I don't even know what's right. I don't know how to worship. I don't know how to go to church. I don't know how, I don't know how to do anything. Because I just feel like it's all messed up and it's all a bunch of lies. And I don't, I don't know how to make sense of any of this. That's exactly where these people are at. And God saw it and it says he saw that there was no one to help them. None of their leaders, no one was helping them to come to him. So what's God's response? Watch this. However, the Lord had not said he would not blot out the name of Israel under heaven, so he delivered them by the hand of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash. So this guy who's evil, God still uses to deliver them from the enemies around them. The rest of the events of Jeroboam's reign, along with all his accomplishments, the power he had to wage war, and how he recover, recovered for Israel Damascus and Hamath, which had belonged to Judah, are written in the historical record of Israel's kings. Jeroboam rested with his fathers, the kings of Israel's, and his sons Zechariah. His son Zechariah became king in his place. See, God blessed Israel for his name's sake, out of compassion for them. Not because Jeroboam was great. Not because Jeroboam had the answers. Not because they were doing it right. Just because God's a compassionate God. And so often, instead of recognizing God's compassion and love, we take credit for things that he did. It's him doing it. It's him that's making it happen. You know, and God sent so many prophets during the reign of Jeroboam. God sent Jonah, Amos, and Hosea during the reign of Jeroboam. Three prophets that wrote books that you can go back and read. The book of Amos, the book of Hosea, and the book of Jonah. All warning God's people, quit committing adultery. Quit doing worship the way you're doing it. I will save Assyrians. If you'll cry out to me like them, I'll save you. And God's people will not listen. They won't have any of it. How heartbreaking is that? How heartbreaking is it when you can have such influence on other people's children, but your own children won't listen to you? There's nothing more heartbreaking than that. It, it wrecks you inside. I can go to work and people think I'm, I know stuff and I can teach them, and I can, but I come home and no one gives at all, cares what I do or listens. It's crazy. This is the kind of stuff that you look at and you're like, is this real? You see, the sin that Jeroboam did was refuse to submit to God's plan 
to worship. The, the plan was to go to the southern kingdom of Jerusalem, just like the Old Testament laid out to the priests that were there, and he refused to do it. And every king after him, it was just too hard to break down the taxation system. It was too hard to go across the board. It was too hard to humble yourself and admit that generations before you were wrong. It was just all too hard to deal with that stuff and deal with it from here, not deal with it as, how do we get Judah to like us? How do we just create peace so we can keep our stuff? No, 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 no. How do we actually repent and go back to God and it may cost me everything? Goes on, says this. In the 27th year of King Israel, Israel's King Jeroboam, Azariah, this is also Uzziah, Okay, the reason there are two names, Azariah is the birth name of Judah's king. So that was the northern kingdom, Jeroboam. The, at the same time, this guy, Azariah, who was the southern kingdom's king, Azariah means the Lord's help. That was his birth name. But Uzziah is his throne name. Okay, it's like me. I'm Matt, but they, people call me pastor. So I, I'm Matt, that's my given name. And then people will give me a title. They'll say Pastor. It's no different. That's why there's two names. It's not like the Bible messed up and they got it wrong. No, no, no. He had a throne name and he had a written name. His throne name meant the Lord is strong. So his, his real name means the Lord helps. His throne name means the Lord is strong. So he's a strong helper. It goes on and it says, son of Amaziah because, became king of Judah. He was 16 years old when he became king and reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. When you lived into your 60s in this time period, you were old. People didn't live that long. Like this got 52 years of reigning as the king of Judah. Listen, watch this guy's story. His mother's name was Jekyllith, who was from Jerusalem. Azariah did what was right in the Lord's sight, just as his father Amaziah had done. He did what was, he tried to do what was right. I want to do what's right in the Lord's sight. I want to do what's right. And I love that the Bible mentions his name. He, last week we talked about the fact that it also mentioned another mother's name. I love that the Bible mentions these women who their strong focus was to raise up strong men. It also mentions women who their focus was to take power away from their sons who rightfully deserve the throne. And we read about that twice where moms killed all the lines of their sons so that they could keep the power and manipulate. Like the Bible doesn't mince words. The Bible just says this woman was amazing. She raised a great son. Like that is beautiful to have that set of you as a mother. I love when people come to me, oh, we love your daughter. We love your, oh, it's like, Praise God, I did something right in my life. You know what I mean? Like, I, I'm such a failure. Praise God, someone thinks I did something right with this kid. You know? It's beautiful that God, because listen, no other culture mentioned women. They, the women were just gone. They, it didn't matter. God's like, no, I, women are important to me. I recognize moms. They're the only people that can bring souls into the world are women. You literally birth souls. Like that was God's plan from the beginning and is still the plan. It's crazy to me. It goes on and it says, Azariah did what was right. Look at this. Yet the high places were not taken away. The people continued sacrificing and burning incense on all the high places. You're going to see in Azariah's life, Uzziah's life, that you can do a lot of the right things. You can, you can get almost everything right 
and still completely collapse in the end. Because you refuse to go after the high places. You refuse to let God have authority in every area and you're keeping this one thing. You're keeping this for yourself and God's like, I, I love you. You're saved, but I've got to deal with that because there's a generation coming after you. I don't want them to repeat it. So I'm going to show what happens when you do this. I'm going to make an example of you, which is exactly what he does with Uzziah. Second Chronicles says that he sought God throughout his lifetime, throughout the lifetime of Zechariah, the teacher of the fear of God. That's a different Zechariah than the one that took the throne in Israel. The teacher of the fear of God. During that, the time that he sought the Lord, God gave him success. So there was a period when Uzziah was getting it right. There was a period when he was listening to wise counsel. He had Zechariah who was trying to teach him the fear of the Lord. And eventually he's like, I, once he's gone, once he's pushed out of his life, he's like, I don't have to listen to him anymore. And then it says, he went off the deep end. It's so sad that we don't want to listen to people that want to teach us how to fear the Lord. Fear is not, I'm afraid God's going to get me. Fear is awe and reverence of the majesty and beauty and glory of God and the recognition that he loves me enough not to destroy me, but to have a relationship with me. That, that's what the fear of God is. And we get that wrong. We either think that God's like our best buddy and I don't fear him because he's my friend. And he's going to go with me everywhere. Or we think, oh, he's so scary and I can't get close and, and he'll, he'll, he will judge my sin and so I don't want to confess to him. And right in the middle is where God wants us to live. You see, he got confident. He lost his fear. He lost his counselor. He turned away from serving the Lord as we're going to see. Goes on in chapter... 26, 6, it says, Uzziah went out to wage war against the Philistines, and he tore down the wall of Gath, the wall of Jabeth, Jabneth, and the wall of Ashdod. Then he built cities in the vicinity of Ashdod and among the Philistines. God helped him against the Philistines, the Arabs that live in Gerbal, and the Mennonites. And the Ammonites gave Uzziah tribute money, and his fame spread as far as the entrance of Egypt, for God made him very powerful. You have to remember, the Philistines, the story of the Philistines goes all the way back to, to Joshua. That when they took the promised land, God said, look, there are people that you are going to have to ask to leave because they are unrighteous and they are wicked. You're going to have to ask them to leave the land. And if they won't leave the land, you're going to have to fight them. And I will be with you. But you're going to have to put up a fight. And you're going to have to trust me that I can win. And you're going to have to step into the land. The Philistines were one of those people that when you read the Old Testament, they keep coming up. Samson was supposed to destroy the Philistines because Joshua and the Israelites didn't get rid of it. And then Samson didn't destroy the Philistines. He played with them, right? That's what he did. And then David was supposed to destroy the Philistines, and David didn't destroy the Philistines. And then Solomon, and so on and so on. God is like, look, these people are wicked. They are going to cause you to leave me every time. They are so crafty. You do not listen. Get rid of them. And if they won't leave amicably, you're going to have to put up a fight. God didn't say just slaughter them. He's like, they could leave. They could be like, yep, your God's more powerful than our God. We don't want to die. Have the land. We'll find someplace else to live. They could have done that. They refused. And when you refuse to surrender to God's will and his plan, don't be surprised if there's a war in your life. And here's the deal. If you keep around the Philistines in your life, don't be surprised when they keep coming up and these sins they cause them to commit keep popping up to give you problems. 
And that's what the Philistines represent. They represent this, I'm going to keep the Philistines here, and I'm not going to kill them, but I'll tax them. I'll keep them over here, and I'll, I'll keep them close, because they are a mighty people. And if I have to go to war against these guys, I'll have these Philistines here I can pay off, and I can have. It's my little sin that I have right here. And God's like, don't play around with that. Get rid of it. What are you doing? Finally, Uzziah actually does it. He actually does what, no, Gath is the place that Goliath, the Philistine, is from. He took back Gath. Ashdod is the place where the Ark of the Covenant was stolen and taken back to. And Uzziah's like, why has no one dealt with this? I'm going back. I mean, Uzziah is a righteous, like, I want God's glory. I want to do what God said in all of these chapters. I want to listen. I want to, I want to do this. And then he goes, the Ammonites, God told them not to kill the Ammonites. He said, don't kill the Ammonites. He doesn't. He gives them tribute money. He's like, look, I'm going to make you understand that God is the one that saved you. I could annihilate you. I just annihilated the Philistines. Are you, were you even willing to, to acknowledge God? See, God doesn't just tell the Israelites to kill everybody. He has different plans for different people. And if you leave the sin around, if you don't deal with what God says to deal with, if you think you can manage your sin, especially if you can manage it for profit, you're in trouble. Wealth and fame and power will corrupt you eventually. And that's what we see with him. Look at this. It goes on. It says, Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate and the valley gate. At the corner buttress, he fortified them. Since he had many cattle, both in the Judean foothills and in the plains, he built towers in the desert and dug many wells. And since he was a lover of the soil, he had farmers and wine dressers in the hills and in the fertile lands. This guy is a farmer. He is an engineer. He is a construction guy. He is a built. This guy has like every talent and gift. This is the most gift, like anybody, you'd be like, oh, this is the best leader we've ever had. He does it all. He does everything. It's amazing. He brings us cattle. He knows how to farm the right way. Like, like everything is going like awesome. But remember, the high places still aren't being torn down. It goes on. Look at this. Uzziah had an army equipped for combat that went out to war by division according to their assignments as recorded by G.L., the court secretary, and Manasseh, the officer under the authority of Hananiah, one of the king's commanders. The total number of heads of families was 26,000 brave warriors. Under their authority was an army of 307,500. That is bigger than the United States Army. That is bigger than our army, and they're only controlling a landmass of like three or 4,000 square miles. Ours is like 3.8 million square miles. This guy is an army leader. He is a military leader. He knows how to, how to put things together. I mean, this guy is so gifted. And then look what it says. The total number of the heads of families, oh, sorry, go back down. They were equipped for combat. So he didn't just have warriors, he equipped them. A powerful force to help the king against the enemy. Uzziah provided the entire army with shields, spears, helmets, armor, bows, and slingshots. This guy just didn't have an army walking around with like plowshares. He equipped his men and taught them how to fight. He made skillfully designed devices in Jerusalem to shoot arrows and catapult large stones for use on the towers and the corners. This guy was a genius. I mean, this guy knew... It's amazing. And then it goes on, and it's just an engineer. It says, so his fame spread even to distant places, for he was marvelously helped 
until he became strong. Underline that in your Bible. He was marvelously helped until he became strong. But when he became strong, he grew arrogant and it led to his own destruction. The sins he caused them to commit. He continued in the arrogant sins and we'll see how he does it. It's the same sin the people have been committing. He continues and he... Listen, this always happens. Paul says, I love when Paul says in the New Testament, he says, this thorn in the flesh was given to me. Three times Paul asked for God to take whatever this thing was. We don't know what the thing was, whether it was a person, a sin, an issue. We don't know, an illness. But Paul three times said, God, please take this thing from me. And God said, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. You're going to have to live with this. And Paul says, the reason he did that was to keep me from becoming like Uzziah. It was to keep me weak. That I don't have it all under control and I'm not the almighty apostle Paul, I'm just a man trying to walk with the Lord. And God will not take this thing away from me because he doesn't want me to grow too strong or arrogant and lead to my own destruction. Listen, that's one of the problems with our world today. All the talents and gifts and abilities, it's so easy to become someone who is just so arrogant. You think you have the answers. You've got it figured out, and God is like, you have no idea, and you don't look here. You don't dig here. You're just looking for answers here that will give you what you want. It'll give you the catapults. It'll give you the strong army. It'll give you all these things. He goes on and says this, He acted unfaithfully against the Lord, his God, by going into the Lord's sanctuary to burn incense on the incense altar. You don't do this. The priests only went in to burn incense. See, he decided God has been so good to me, now I can worship God the way I want to worship him. Now I can do, I'm now God. I can take matters into my own hands. Me and God will be closer than ever. Me and Jesus, we're going to be so close. I don't need a church. I don't need leaders. I don't need people around me. It's going to be me and Jesus and I'll show everybody because I'm the king. I'm going to go in and I don't need those priests. I'm going to go in. I'll show them. I'm going to make my sacrifice. I'm going to burn incense. I'm going to burn incense to God and the fragrance is going to go up to heaven and he's going to be like, oh, thank you, Uzziah. Oh, thank you. This is how every church split happens. Almost everyone. It's some guy saying, I'm going to take the reins. I'm going to be able to build a better church and everybody else is wrong. It's like, no. That's one of the reasons why when we planted our church, we did it in partnership with multiple churches, multiple agencies, because I don't want to be an independent church. We are an independent church in terms of nobody tells us what to do. They don't send us pastors. We're not required to give people money, but we are a partnering church that willingly partners And that way, you know who our partners are locally at some of the churches that we partner with. You know who our partners are in the association. You know who our partners are at the state level. You know who our partners are nationally. Why? Because I could become a Uzziah. You don't think I couldn't become like this? Oh, I could really easily. And I have partners all around me to keep me in check. And I have people coming up to me after services last week to keep me in check. That's the way it's supposed to be. We have a multiplicity of elders in our church to keep me in check. That's the point. 
Because God loves his people and he knows that we could all end up like this. Look what happens. Azariah the priest, along with 80 brave priests of the Lord, went in after Uzziah. This is the greatest act of love. Because if I'm a priest, here's what I'm doing. Oh, he's dead. I'd be like, you, uh, go ahead. Like, he's done. I know what's going to happen. You want to know why they know what's going to happen? Because in Leviticus, Aaron's sons went in and offered a fire they weren't supposed to offer. And God had the fire shoot out and kill both of the high priest Aaron, that was Moses' brother. The fire shot out and killed both of his sons in front of all of Israel. To say, you do never do this. This is only the high priest who can make a right relationship and a fragrant aroma to me, i.e. the high priest Jesus someday. You can't get right with God on your own. You can't be smart enough, an engineer. You can't do enough to earn the right to go before God and say, I'm the one that saves myself. You need a high priest who will save you. And your two sons decided they were going to go in and be their own high priest and ignore you, the father, and subvert your authority and my plan. And I killed them both so that from this point forward, everyone would know, don't do that. That is false worship. And Uzziah ignores the story that's written right there in the Torah. He ignores the law of God in Leviticus. And he says, you know what? I can do it. I don't need anybody. I got this figured out. This, this is what God wants. This is what God told me. I'm going to do it. Look at this. It says, they took their stand against King Uzziah and said, Uzziah, you have no right to offer incense to the Lord. Only the consecrated priests, the descendants of Aaron, have the right to offer incense. Leave the sanctuary, for you have acted unfaithfully. You will not receive honor from the Lord God. See, because he wouldn't deal with the high places, he was susceptible to create his own high places. That's what happens to us every time when we won't deal with the mess that, that we did and that's been passed down to us and we won't lay that before God and deal with it and go to his word and repent and, and cry out and work with others through that, this is what happens. And don't think this couldn't be you because it'll be you, I promise. The number of pastors I've seen fall is too many to count. My spiritual mentor his wife fell, became an invalid, and he literally told the church, she's actually dead. Let me marry another woman in the church that I've now fallen in love with because she's dead to me. And he turned over her care to her family. And I was the one who had to tell the deacon body, fire him. Do not let that happen. He has lost his mind. And it broke my heart. This was my mentor. What are you doing? What, what are you thinking? no longer in ministry. He mows yards. 70-year-old guy mowing yards. No longer walking with the Lord. But still saying he walks with the Lord. Breaks my heart. It hurts. It goes on. It says, Uzziah, with a fire pan in his hand to offer incense, was enraged every time. When people love us and confront us, it's so often the thing we do first. How dare you? Who are you to tell me? 
I am the king and I got a fire pan in my hand. I'm going to smack you with this pan. Like, I mean, that's where he's at. He's fully, fully enraged. How do you think you priests are? I'm Uzziah. I have taken out the Philistines. I have built the towers. I have dug wells. I have done. Look at all I've done. How dare you stand up to me? But when he became enraged with the priests in the presence of the priest in the Lord's temple, beside the altar of incense, a skin disease broke out on his forehead. Then Azariah, the chief priests, and all the priests turned to him and saw that he was diseased on his forehead. They rushed him out of there. For them to grab him and touch him meant that they became unclean and they had to go through the process of the unclean cleansing they had to go through to alienate themselves out of the camp. This was not an easy decision to grab him and drag him out. Again, my choice most likely would have been like, you're going to die, dummy. You come into the temple with a skin disease, God's going to take you out. That, you don't do that because then it spreads everywhere. You have to be perfect, which again is an example of Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, who was without disease or blemish. Look at what happens. They rushed him out. He himself also hurried to get out because the Lord had afflicted him. Now he gets it. Now he's like, uh-oh, I'm going to die. I, I got a disease. I, I got to get out of here. He takes off out. So King Uzziah was diseased to the time of his death. He lived in quarantine with a serious skin disease and was excluded from access to the Lord's temple while his son Jotham was over the king's household governing the people of the land. He had everything. And because he wanted to worship his own way, he wanted to do it his way, not according to the word of God, how, because he, he had it figured out, he spent the rest of his life alone. Some of you have done that in your life. Some of you are recovering from that. Making decisions, not following God, not listening to God, and just being alone. Some of you for the first time have embraced a church family here, and for the first time you're saying, no more being alone. I don't know how to do this family thing. I don't know how to do this church thing, but I'm leaning in. And it's a mess because we're a mess. Everybody's a mess. It's not perfect, but, but I'm going to lean in, and I'm going to be a part of what this looks like and figuring this out. Praise the Lord. Don't. This is what happens. The priests, though, they saved his life. They were kind goes on to say, now the prophet Isaiah, son of Amoz, wrote about the rest of the events of Uzziah's reign from beginning to end. Isaiah 1, the book of Isaiah is the longest book of the Old Testament, 66 chapters. Well, Psalms is, but Psalms are multiple Psalms. But Isaiah is one story. It's 66 chapters. It is the pinnacle of the Old Testament. And this is the vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah, son of Amoz, saw during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Isaiah lived a long time and saw a lot. Listen, heavens, and pay attention, earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have raised children and brought them up. Yes, that's a good thing. Praise the Lord. But they have rebelled against me. And the rest of the book of Isaiah is God warning his people, saying, please stop doing this. You're going to be destroyed. You think you got it all under control. You don't. 
Turn to me, please. I am merciful. I want to forgive. And then the rest of the book of Isaiah is he knows they're not going to. So he says, I'm going to send a savior, a Messiah who you're going to kill because you can't stand to hear from him. Just like you kill all the other prophets when they speak the truth to you. But he's going to come back from the dead, not like the other prophets. And if you believe in him, then you can be saved because he is Yahweh who saves, not the golden calves, and not the high places that you've built for yourselves. 3 John 1.3 says, For I was very glad when some brothers came and testified of your faithfulness to the truth, how you were walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than this to hear that my children are walking in the truth, and there is no greater pain than when your kids are not walking in the truth. It's brutal. It will gut you. Because you know, when you realize if you have a relationship with God and you start to realize that the sins that you caused them to commit are now happening to them, now you start checking your own heart and there's nothing that keeps you awake at night more than that. It hurts. It hurts so deeply. Now, are you responsible for them? No, they're responsible. We read in Deuteronomy for their own decisions. But you are responsible to tell them, I need to repent. I've messed up. I didn't do it right. I put that on you. Sorry. You're, you're, you're to know this and point them to the Word of God. That's the whole point of what these verses mean. In 2 Kings 15, it says, The rest of the events of Azariah's reign, that's Uzziah, along with all his accomplishments, are written in a historical record of Judah's kings. Azariah rested with his fathers and was buried in his father's with his fathers in the city of David, his son Jotham became king in his place. In the 38th year of Judah, King Azariah, Zechariah, son of Jeroboam, became king over Israel in Samaria for six months. That's it. Six-month reign. That was the fourth of Jehu's sons, and he only reigned six months. Why? He did what was evil in the Lord's sight as his fathers had done. He did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, had caused Israel to commit. And God sent the northern kingdom Five prophets. Five prophets wrote books and went to the northern kingdom and said, please stop. Destruction is coming. Don't do this. And they didn't listen to any of them. He sent Hosea. He sent Amos. He sent Jonah. He sent Micah. And he sent Isaiah. And they all said, we don't care. We're not listening. We got it figured out. Things are going well for us. We got, don't mess up the system. That's exactly why they crucified Jesus. It's because Jesus came and he upturned the system and they're like, kill that guy. We got this figured out with the Romans. We got a good taxation going on. We got, we got our lives put together. And Jesus is like, you're not worshiping God. He goes on. It's just a mess after this. Look at what happened. Shalom, son of Jebesh, conspired against Zechariah. He struck him down, publicly killed him, and became king in his place. You know, we're talking about insurrection all the time anymore, about all this stuff, what you believe, right or left. I don't really care right now. But at least we're not killing our presidents. But don't think we're not going to end up there. Don't think we're not going to end up like this. Because we will. He goes on and it says, As for the rest of the events of Zechariah's reign, they are written in the historical record of Israel's kings. The word of the Lord that he spoke to Jehu was, Four generations of your son will sit on the throne of Israel. And it was so. If you're the fourth son and you're still doing wickedness and you know that God told your great-great-grandfather, Hey, only four are going to sit on the throne. You might think you'd want to repent. 
because you're number four. But no, we get in our mind, I'm number four, which means I'm going to sit on the throne. It'll be good for me. I don't know what will happen after me, but you know, I'm going to try to live the good life. I'm going to have it. And you get a six-month reign. Gone. See, God was warning. He wasn't saying four will sit on the throne and that's all you get. He was like, four is going to sit on the throne unless you repent. And they never repented. They just, the sins they caused them to commit, they kept committing. In the 39th year of Judah king Uzziah, Shalem, son of Jabesh, became king. He reigned in Samaria a full month. Ooh, a month reign. Then Menahem, son of Gadi, came up from uh, Tiz... Terza to Samaria and struck down Shalom son of Jebesh there. He killed him and became king in his place. As for the rest of the events of Shalom's reign, along with the conspiracy that he formed, they are written in the historical record of the kings. At that time, starting from Terza, from Menahem ta- attacked Tiphash, all who were in it and its territory because they wouldn't surrender. He attacked it and ripped open all the pregnant women. This is an Israelite king ripping open the wombs of his own people. Now, before you judge him too harshly, we've killed 60 million babies in our country. Many of them by partial birth abortion, which means we literally rip them limb from limb within the womb. So before you're too judgmental about why did no one stand up against this? Why did no one talk about this? Why weren't people praying and fasting for God to change this? Look at your own heart. The same patterns over and over again. People get power. They promise, Don't have, I'll be your king. I'll bring a kingdom. I'll show you. You want to build your own kingdom, right? And it goes on and it says, He did what was evil in the Lord's sight throughout his reign. He did not turn away from the sins of Jotham, son of Nebat, had caused Israel to commit. There it is again. Pool, king of Assyria, invaded the land. So Menahem gave Pool 75,000 pounds of silver so the Pool would support him and strengthen him, his grip on the kingdom. He paid him off. He bought him off so that he could keep his strength. He didn't cry out to God and say, God, save us from the Assyrians. He was like, well, they're powerful, so I'll just, I'll just give up my people's money. And then after I give up my people's money, here's what I'll do. Then Menahem extracted 20 ounces of silver from each of the wealthy men of Israel to give it to the kings of Assyria. So the king of Assyria withdrew and did not stay there in the land. Well, that's what we need to do. If we just take all the money from those rich people and tax them, then it'll all get better in our country. These are the same solutions, the same things over and over and over again, and we won't cry out to God. We keep trying the same stuff. Get rid of children. There's too many people in the world. They cause you problems. Let's pay everybody off. That'll work. We'll pay off all these nations and buy them off with weapons and money. Oh, and then we'll just tax the people, but we won't tax the poor. We'll tax the rich, but then the rich are going to come after the poor, but we won't say anything. It goes on, it says, the rest of the events of Mayhem's reign along with Oh, sorry. Yeah, along with his accomplishments are written in the historical record of Israel's kings. Menahem rested with his fathers and his son, Pekahiah, became king in his place. In the 15th year of Judah king Azariah, Pekahiah, son of Menahem, became king over Israel and Samaria and reigned two years. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight and he did not turn away from the sins Jeroboam, son of Nebat, had caused Israel to commit. Then his officer, Pekah, son of Ramalath, conspired against him and struck him down at Samaria in the citadel of the king's palace, as well as Argob and Arya. There were 50 
Gileadite men with Pekah, he killed Pekaniah and became king in his place. As for the rest of the events of Pekaniah's reign, along with his accomplishments, they're written in the historical records of the kings of Israel. In the 52nd year of Judah, King Azariah, do you see who keeps reigning? Azariah has been reigning through all of these changes in northern kingdom, killing each other and overthrowing. Pekah, son of Ramalath, became king over Israel and Samaria and reigned 20 years. Finally, somebody reigned for a while. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight. He did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, had caused Israel to commit. We're going to stop there because next week we're going to pick up what happens. This is the end for the northern kingdom. The Assyrians, God lifts his hands of protection and the Assyrians come in and they annihilate them. And they are at the doorstep of Judah to annihilate Judah. And God spares them because they cry out. Because they said, we're not going to commit the sins. We're going to stop. You see, there's a payment coming. You're going to have to deal with the sins of the past You're going to have to think through these things. You've got to repent. You've got to ask God. You've got to learn what the word says. We've got to work through this stuff, but it's just easier like the rest of these people to just be lazy and just be like, well, I got my high places. I'm good with God. I have my little quiet time. I read my Bible. I pray. I do. He's asked us to be priests. According to the New Testament, we are the priesthood of believers. We're supposed to be going in and say, don't do that fire pan. Don't. I love you enough to tell you no. But we won't. In Matthew, it says this, Then Jesus told them, Watch out and beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The disciples discussed among themselves, We didn't bring any bread. (laughs) I love it when they try to think logically. Wait, they have yeast? We didn't get any yeast from them. We didn't bring any bread for yeast. And they're like, oh my goodness. Then he goes on, he says, You of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves that you do not have bread? Don't you understand yet? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you collected or the seven loaves for the 4,000 how many large baskets you collected? Why is it you don't understand that when I told you beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, it wasn't about bread. (laughs) Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the yeast and bread, but the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Oh, it's a metaphor. Yes, a metaphor. Like, yes, like... This is what we do. Well, God, you didn't tell me. You didn't say, I'm trying to, you said this. It's like, just think a little bit, Matt. Just take a moment. See, Jesus, the Pharisees were these people that wanted to keep everything going. The Sadducees were the political leader. The Pharisees were the rural leaders. The city and the rule, the Romans and all this stuff. And they were the Sanhedrin of the 70, trying to keep it all going. They were the Supreme Court of the day. And the Supreme Court's going to save us. No, God's people crying out to him, God's people believing that he is the Messiah will save you. Because in AD 70, the Sanhedrin's wiped out and the temple is gone and it's never come back. Because the people wouldn't listen and God doesn't forget. And you either put the sins that have been committed on Christ and ask him to help you suffer with the consequences or you put them on yourself and generations after you and it is horrible. There's no other way the Bible says Peter in his first sermon that we looked at last week says this and now brothers I know that what you did you did in ignorance just as your leaders also did when they killed Jesus the prophet the Messiah who was telling them to stop committing the sins you keep committing 
But what God predicted through the mouth of all the prophets that his Messiah would suffer, he has fulfilled in this way. Therefore, repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out, that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus, who has been appointed for you as the Messiah. Jesus is coming back. Verse 22, Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. You must listen to him and everything he will say to you. And everyone who will not listen to that prophet will be completely cut off from the people. In addition, all the people who have spoken from Samuel and all those after him have announced these days. The reason we're reading about 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles is because they were announcing what it looks like to not believe that God is the Messiah and to trust him, but to trust in your kings, your nations, your prophets, and all the things that are going to be taken away. That's the story. So let me ask you this morning. What are the sins that you have seen that you just keep committing? You're just in the stream with everybody else. And you're not willing to pause and say, God, help me understand my past so that I don't pass it on. And help me understand your love and your beauty and your commands and your glory so that I can pass that on for a thousand generations. And if you do that, I promise you, God will show you. If you'll allow others to speak into your life, unlike the kings, God will help you. But if you become enraged, if you push people away, don't be surprised if you wake up and you're alone. That is never God's intention. He's creating a people for himself to declare his glory so that they can be great in his sight. That's my prayer for you this morning. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you've never surrendered to him, I pray you would. I pray that you'd say, you know what? I'm sick of going in the direction I'm going. It's time to say, you know what? I need him. I surrender. Unlike the others that would never surrender. And if you have surrendered to Christ, don't think that gives you a pass. Uzziah was pretty surrendered for about 50 years. And then it just took the inability to deal with the reality of the high places and to create his own to wipe everything out. Do I think Uzziah is going to be in heaven? Yeah. I'm sure he spent the rest of his days wishing he never did that. I'm sure he spent the rest of his days telling his son, don't do that. I'm sure he spent the rest of his days warning the people. And his life from that point forward became a warning to everyone, don't do that. And he didn't take his own life. He lived it out in front of the people so that they might repent and stop doing the sins that they had caused them to commit. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning and your word. Lord, I thank you that you wrote 2 Kings 15. You wrote 2 Chronicles 26 for our picture. Lord, to show us that what we're dealing with politically, what we're dealing with in the world, it hasn't changed. It's the same stuff over and over again. We're not going to find our hope here. We need you to come be our Messiah and change things. And that hasn't happened yet. And we live in captivity. We live in a place that isn't going to change without you. And we may have seasons where it's a little bit better than it was before or a little bit worse than it was before. But ultimately, we are waiting for you to come back and make everything new. Lord, I pray that if anyone here doesn't believe that message, that they would surrender to you this morning. 
if they've been fighting like all these kings amongst themselves and relationships, if they've been pushing back against the prophets like Amos and Hosea and Jonah and Micah and Isaiah and they refuse to listen, I pray this morning they would finally listen and say, I get it now. God is God and his son is Yahweh who saves and that they would surrender to you. And it's not hard to do. They just need to pray. They need to just cry out and say, God, you're God and I'm not I've got nothing to offer you. I'm a sinner. And Jesus, you are the Savior, so please save me. And Jesus says he will. And for those of us who are believers, I pray that you would take us on a journey to ask ourselves, what are the things I keep committing and how can I start dealing with those? And Lord, would we help one another? Would we, like the priest with Uzziah, grab one another and rush each other to where they need to be to save and spare their life so that they could still be a witness for you before it's too late. We thank you and we praise you in your name. Amen.